Hi, and welcome to the Wine After Work podcast, bringing you the perfect balance between unwinding from a hectic day and exploring the captivating world of careers and entrepreneurship. Hosted by Bryce Batts, co-CEO of Career Collective, a seven-figure AEC recruiting and coaching firm, here to share exciting stories, expert tips, and intriguing conversations with industry professionals. So grab your favorite glass, kick back, and join us on this delightful journey. We're glad you're here. Cheers. Kelsey Carson Settle is the driving force behind Green Roost, a Virginia boutique with a heartfelt mission to curate purposeful goods. She embodies the boutique's inspiring tagline, a boutique featuring goods that are curated with our customers in mind. We aim to keep our boutique unique, eco-conscious, and socially responsible. Around here, we believe in gifting with purpose. At 37 years young and a dedicated mom, Kelsey brings a uniquely passionate perspective to the entrepreneurial landscape. She's more than a boutique owner. She's a gifted storyteller, an advocate for body positivity, and a champion of positive self-worth. What truly sets Kelsey apart is her unwavering commitment to her community. She has dedicated her time and energy to various local organizations, serving as the president of Culpeper Renaissance, Inc., the vice chairman of the Culpeper Wellness Foundation, and an advisory board member for the free clinic of Culpeper, among other roles. Kelsey's passion for volunteering reflects her dedication to making a positive impact on the lives of those around her. With a customer base primarily comprised of women, many of whom share the journey of parenthood, Kelsey has mastered the art of reaching the diverse audience in authentically relatable ways. She understands their daily trials, triumphs, and dreams, and strives to connect on a deep level. In the background of Kelsey's incredible journey is her husband, a lifelong police officer who now serves as the chief of police. Together, they embody a commitment to both their community and their family, inspiring others to follow their passions and make a difference in the world. Through her entrepreneurial voyage, Kelsey has become a true inspiration, showcasing how a boutique can be a catalyst for positive change and self-expression. She'll share her invaluable insights on building a socially responsible business, fostering connections, and infusing gifting with a profound sense of purpose. You guys are going to love Kelsey. She's so warm and inviting, has so many great tips, and her story um, brought me to tears at one point when she got really vulnerable sharing about body positivity, and I think you're just going to love this episode. Hey, Kelsey, welcome to the Wine After Work podcast. Hey, Bryce, how are you? Good, good. Um, So great to have you on. I'm so excited. So tell us about your journey, um, you know, and what led you to create Green Roost, uh, a boutique that curates purposeful goods and um, how you got started. Absolutely. Um, Believe it or not, I wanted to be a chef. Okay. My journey has a little, um, a couple turns and U-turns in it. But I um I got my degree in psychology and d- as a backup plan for life, and then decided I was going to go to the culinary institute and be a chef, and that was going to be my oh cool yeah. And then I got a job in a commercial kitchen and realized that was not the life I wanted. It's um more power to restaurant workers, but I'm I'm a morning person, not a night owl. Uh-huh. I need my sleep, and that just doesn't fly in the restaurant industry. 
Have you seen the bear? Um, um, was it I haven't yet. It's show? on my list. Oh, I hear it's so good. It is so good, but it definitely gives you a peek into that restaurant world and how stressful it is. Oh my gosh. It's, um, I, I remember reading Tony Bourdain's book, Kitchen Confidential, and thinking like, okay, you know, this maybe is not for me, but I can make it work. Yeah. And then I got in that kitchen. I mean, it was two weeks and I, all I wanted through college was to get into the Culinary Institute. And I got in, I was so excited. And I remember I had to make that call and say, I'm not coming. Yeah. It's just not for wow. me. And so I, the retail world kind of always followed me. I started working in boutiques when I was 16. And then um, my first year of college, my aunt started her own gift shop. And okay. so I worked there in the summers and I kind of just grew up with it in my life. Yeah. So when I graduated from school, didn't know where I was going because I had given up on this, this chef dream. My aunt um, got me in uh, with connections to being a sales rep. So I started on the wholesale side of the retail world. Okay. I was selling to boutiques on the road, cold calling. And it was 2007, 2008, which we all remember was. <laughs> yes, I do great period of time not, not the greatest time yeah. economically but I think it's cool because it gave you kind of a behind the scenes look oh it did and it makes me appreciate the other side of the retail world I'm one to always um ask if there's a rep involved ask you know what the business would prefer me how they want me to order how they want because I've been on that side and I know right. how the people on the ground are working well, you're they're probably you're their favorite customer then we tend to have good relationships we, it's a mutual respect so which helps good but I did that for four years and ended up in Annapolis and my aunt called me one day and said I think I'm going to open a second shop it was in and I kid you not a 200 square foot office behind wow. the store it was teeny and she wanted it to be a shop based on earth-friendly gifts. So everything recycled, organic, sustainable. It was called Green Nest at the time. Okay. And her goal was to get me back to Culpeper where she was living. We, we've always been very close. She's, you know, she's like a second mom to me. And I told her, absolutely no way. I'm not moving to a small town. I'm going to New York. I'm going to DC. I'm going somewhere that's a city. Yeah. And I was 24 at the time. And she pulled me in and said, tell you what, come manage this store for me for a year and then you can hit the road. And I remember telling her, I'm not kidding. Day 366, I'm leaving. Like I, I will give you one year. She needed a manager. I needed a job. So I, I actually moved back in with my parents to move to Culpepper and um, work for her. And day 366 came and she said, give me six more months. I just, I need to find another manager. Give me six more months. At that time, we had moved the store to a bigger space, okay, which is actually where it is now. So it's about 2,200 square feet. So 10 times the space. I said, all right, I'll give you six months. So at the end of that, she made, which I call her Don Corleone offer and gave me an opportunity to buy the business that oh, so no 24 year old would have had otherwise. Right. By that I, six month, when she said, do you want an extra six months? Were you loving it by then? Did she no. have to beg you to stay? You she still... did. Okay. And it was more a social thing. I was, I think I was 25. Yeah, 25. I was single that, you know, Culpepper's this big. Okay. And I thought, I'm not going to meet anyone here. This is crazy. I'm not doing it. So I ended up becoming the owner of the business. 
Um, that was August 1st of 2011. And on August 23rd, uh, an earthquake hit Culpeper. I don't know if you remember that. Oh, yeah, oh my it's, gosh, it's that's weird. so weird. Yeah, we never, I mean, East Coast, you're never prepared for an earthquake. Oh. So an earthquake hit. So I'd owned the store for 23 days. All my front windows shattered. I mean, it was traumatic. Oh my And God. so they had kicked everyone off the street. All the buildings were quarantined. And I remember thinking, I have this brand new business and everything's going to get looted. Like it was exposed. Ugh. So that was at 1.45 in the afternoon. They quarantined the street. And I remember I just stood there at the end of the street, like watching, trying to see my store a block away. And at nine, what did I sign night, up for? I know, right? I'm like, this is crazy. So at nine o'clock that night, they said, okay, you can go back to your store and board it up. I have like contractors waiting. And they said, but you need a police escort. And so that police escort was my husband. Stop it. I know. Oh my gosh. Isn't that crazy? So I couldn't make it up if I tried. No, this is yeah. like a Hallmark movie, like small town, you yeah. open a boutique. Yeah, the police officer comes. The police officer <laughs> walks by. I'll help you, ma'am. Yeah. Oh my gosh. You can yeah. literally make a movie out of this. I know. It's so crazy to think about it. So we, that was in 2011. Um, and I'm, yeah, I met him and, and my aunt says that was her plan all along. That <laughs> it's amazing that she could plan an earthquake. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah. So you guys could meet. Exactly. So, and we dated for about five years, and then now we're married and two kids. And wow. I'm in Culpeper for the long haul. And so, you know, the store's been in business now 15 years. That's incredible. So, yeah. So, I'm I'm not going anywhere. Well, since you brought your husband up, I, I think you said he's chief of police, and so it sounds like you guys are both an integral part of the you know the community, and you've got a big commitment to your to your family and your community. How do you inspire each other? You know, we both have this like burning passion for volunteerism. And that was before we knew each other. His dad started the little league in our town. Mm. His brother started our the football little league, like the little, I don't know what they call football, the pop warner stuff. Okay. And um I've always volunteered. It started in high school. It's just been something my parents instilled in me that when you have free time, you give it back to your community. Mm. And so when I came to Culpeper and didn't know anyone, that's how I started meeting people was through volunteering with local organizations. I was really involved in our main street organization downtown. And uh, Chris and I both have found ways to make that work with our lives, with our career, with our family. And it's one of those things we, neither one of us volunteer in any organizations together, but we're very understanding of the other person's time when it comes to volunteering. And we're very grateful to be in a place where we have a nanny. Mm. And so we're able to make that work with having two young kids working full-time and volunteering. But it's nice when you're in a relationship and have a partner who understands your your want and your desire to give your time to someone. Because yeah. I think if you both didn't have that understanding, it would be a kind of a hard explanation. And it's, um, you know, I took a couple of breaks from volunteering when I was pregnant and things like that. But at one point or another, both of us have always been on at least one board or volunteered with one organization. And it's really helped us just carry that and something we really want to pass to our kids. Yeah, that's so awesome. And I mean, in a way, you both kind of have hard jobs. Obviously, chief of police has many difficulties and then entrepreneurship does as well. You know, so many ups and downs and you're putting so much time in in the beginning. 
Um, I know you're, you guys are both parents. So how do you balance that now? I know you've got a lot of customers who are also, you know, parents. Yeah, it's, that has been by far the biggest learning curve to me of being an entrepreneur. It's when I was doing it, I have a four-year-old and a two-year-old. So the first 11 years I had no kids and I didn't appreciate how much my time was my own. If I wanted to go into the shop and work late, if I needed to put in the extra hours, I could. Well, now I don't always have that ability. Even with a nanny, I can't, it's a nanny's not a 24 hour right. person, right? So when she gets off at 530, one of us has to be home. Yeah. And so it's taken a lot of discipline to learn how to balance my time and more importantly, delegate some of my tasks mm. off of my plate. And it's taken work with a business coach and a therapist and to learn that I don't have to carry everything on my shoulders. Some things can wait. It has taken me so long to learn how to say that's okay tomorrow or next week, or maybe have the bandwidth for that next year. Because my time now is, is as much my kids as it is my own. And it's not to say that I gave up my whole, you know, work life to be a mom. Sure. But I find balance between the two. Yeah. Oh, I'm sure you have some great stories. So I don't know if you know, but I had a store, had two stores a long time ago. Actually, I like started in 2008. Oh, wow. I did. Um, I did close them. And I'm so in awe of you and the other women I've met who own stores um, and how you make it work. But I had my first daughter and she was going to preschool. And I remember the preschool teacher would drop her off at the store. I could put her in the pack and play in the back and she would nap. So I'm like, okay, I've bought myself time to like three o'clock, but you know, stores are typically open until six or seven. So then I had to have someone come in in the afternoon. And I just have memories of her when she did not want to nap anymore and me trying to multitask and that was impossible. So I think the delegation part is so important, whether that's delegating it to a nanny, to your husband, to a babysitter, you know, whoever it may be, or someone to run your store so you can do it well. And to trust them to do that. Yeah. I think that's it, whether it's parenting or your business. You know, I always joke, the store is my first child. Yeah, exactly. But um, there's a it's hard sometimes to trust someone else to raise your child, whether that be a business child or a human child. Yeah. And so it's, I mean, first of all, I'm just grateful to have those people in place, but um, I've certainly, there's been a times when there haven't been those people in place. And so, yeah, learning to figure that out is, is an interesting task, more power to all the moms, you included. (laughs) Yeah. If you leave the nanny uh, hanging every night and just don't show up, she won't be your nanny for long, but how do you find great people for your store? I, you know, I'm in a unique position with that. I've actually never advertised for staff. Mine's been all word of mouth. And that's, I think a benefit of being in a small town. I was going to say, people know you, they love you, they want to work with you, for you. Yeah, and it's, I'm so, I'm thankful for that. I've, uh, I'd say right now, four of my employees were customers first. Oh, nice. And, And there's something to say for that, because if someone wants to be in your business and shop and give their hard earned money to you, they believe in what you're doing and believe in the products you're selling, in my case, Uh to want to work there and do the same. 
And I always joke, none of my employees actually make money because they all, it just comes right back to the store, you know, and I'm, I'm grateful the yeah. women I work with, they love what we, they're shoppers and they love what we sell. But if they are buying it for themselves, they love it enough to sell it to the customers. And that's been kind of a formula that's really worked for me. And so thankfully in 15 years, I've never had to advertise for a job. I hope I never have to because word of mouth has really, and sometimes it has not worked out, you know, personality conflicts and. Sure, but not all going to work out, unfortunately. But it's, um, it has worked out for the most part. And it's one of the reasons I, I pride myself in my employee retention. And I have, most of my employees have been with me five, six, seven years. Wow. And that's makes such a good foundation for a staff. Yeah. And then shoppers come in, they know who's going to be there. They know they'll be taken care of. And those employees have really bought in, like you said, from the very beginning as customers first. So, and then correct me if I'm wrong, but your all of your products are very unique, eco-conscious, socially responsible. So how do you make sure um, that these products you offer align with these values? Uh, it's a lot of conversations and research. Okay. It's, you know, we're in a world where it's so nice that you can research things to death you know, ad nauseum if you'd like you could yeah. sit on the computer all day and research but because I look for such niche brands it helps me in this search because I can eliminate them fairly quickly and for me these brands are the purpose that that umbrella is kind of a big one you know it's not just you know when the store started it was just quote-unquote green which is a word you know we don't use as much anymore but I like brands that give back or are led by other small you know, small little sort of small town businesses led by women and things like that. You know, I think there's a a large umbrella that means that falls under the category of having a purpose. Sure. Yeah. So it's, um, but it starts, you know, I usually go to trade shows and I do online research for brands. You can usually in a trade show, if you walk into a booth and ask there's like three questions I go through and ask. Oh, okay. Can you share what they are? Yeah, sure. And it's it's like my um my automatic like your snuff test yeah exactly but you know if I ask where the products are made and things can be ethically made in China and that's one of the messages I like to tell people you know you you see on a tag made in China and I'll have some customers immediately you know roll their eyes and scoff at it uh-huh. you, you can have things ethically made in China there are are family owned factories in China where they're doing the right thing and meeting the standards and you know, it's so that's one of the things I do like to talk to people about because I feel like that's such a buzzword and yeah. it's like frowned upon and it doesn't have to be. Well, even when you said that question, immediately I thought China. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And because we're programmed to think that way. Yeah. And if you, you know, some of these vendors I work with that are manufacturing clothes in China, specifically clothes, I mean, these are the most lovely people and they know the people making them. It's family run, it's the businesses own the, and so. It can be done well. It's not to say it's all done well. Right. But if you ask the right question, you can guarantee that it is done well. And so I generally ask that question. I ask about the labor practices. Hmm. Because if I ask that question and they all they say, oh, I've never thought about that answer. Or, you know, that means they're not thinking about the labor practices. Usually, yeah. And they're not going to answer it the way I need them to answer. And if you ask that question, is that also giving you insight into if they're being paid a fair wage? It is. Yeah. So labor practices is it generally it's, you know, it's so hard to get the the actual fair trade stamp, 
but people will follow fair trade guidelines without getting the the brand. Okay. And so it usually means wages, working conditions, child labor, things like that all kind of fall under that category. Okay. And if I ask that question and someone immediately starts going into, oh my gosh, yes, we do X, Y, Z and make sure this is regulated. And that I can tell there's a passion there. They know what they're doing and I can follow up with more questions if I need to. But if they have, I mean, if it stops them right in their tracks and they don't even know what I'm asking, Red flag. Well, we're gonna we're gonna probably walk to the next booth. Yeah. And yeah, otherwise they'd be excited about it and want to tell you all about it. Yeah. And which usually ends up happening because I'm so chatty is then an hour later we're we're sitting there talking about labor practices. And I think, okay, this is my person. We're in the right yeah. place. Love yourself. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> all right. And well, usually good. I follow up with asking if there's any sort of like give back model. Ah, okay. With the brand. And you know, my my philosophy in business kind of changed when I became the owner, you know, I technically owned a green business, you know, looking for earth friendly stuff. It was originally green nest, earth friendly gifts. And I started working with Tom's. Oh, well that, yeah. Immediately I thought of Tom's when yeah. you said give back. And so, and I always joke, I, I stalked Tom's for probably three years before they finally said I could sell those shoes. And, um, I think I wrote more essays for them than I did to get into UVA. It's hilarious. Oh my gosh. But um, in space. Yeah. They really changed my view of how I wanted to run my business. You know, their one for one model was really progressive at the time. They were one of the first give back companies. Yeah. And it made me see that there was a world outside of just earth friendly gifts. Like I wanted to be a give back company in general, not just. And we still do things to help the planet, but there's so much more and you can have a bigger impact to me if you kind of bro broaden your horizons with that. And Tom's is really the company that that opened my eyes with that. That's awesome. Well, you're not only a boutique owner, you're a great storyteller. And I know you're big on bo uh, body positivity. And so how does that play into the atmosphere at your store? Yeah, um, that it's funny how that happened because. I was not big on body positivity for a long, most of my life. I've always fought with body image since I was, I mean, I, I think I can remember wanting to be on my first diet. I was seven, Ugh. which is crazy, right? I mean, you have daughters, you know, this it's, oh. it's everywhere for girls. And I hate that. I hate to think that little seven-year-old Kelsey was worried about eating carbs. Like, yeah. I don't want a seven-year-old to even know why a carb is bad in their brain. You know, that's such a bad thing. And so, you know, I I fought this most of my life through my 20s into my 30s. And it wasn't until I started having kids. And isn't it funny? You start having kids, how your perspective changes and thinking, yep. I don't want my boys growing up thinking that all their mom thought about was her weight or her, the size of her pants or, you know, it. What a crazy thing to be thinking, you know, I'm taking a picture with my six week old and I look at the picture and I was, would immediately, oh, I look, I look fat in that picture. Oh, I look like what a, got a six week old. Yeah. yeah. Like I just grew this baby. I had, in my case, been through four years of fertility treatment and all I could think about was how heavy I looked. And so I started doing some work, um, like with therapy with that and just kind of trying to talk through the narrative of why my brain was shifting to this. And so when I started actually working with Emily, who's our mutual business coach, 
Um, and we had our first like intensive retreat. We were talking about me selling clothes to the store. And at that point I was not in our social media at all, as far as the face of the store. Oh, okay. Because I was concerned about the way I looked. And I remember sitting on her couch telling her, you know, I know, I know fashion. I understand it. I know trends. I get it. Yeah, you've been in this business for so many years. Exactly. It's and I've followed it and I I appreciate fashion, but I was I told her I said I'm afraid the customers won't believe me because of the way I look. And you know, Em is so good about this, but she she said, Kelsey, that's listen to what you just said. Yeah. She's like, they they do believe you, they trust you. You can get in front of the camera and tell them this. And so I started doing these weekly try-ons. And so every Thursday I get on Instagram in the stories and I literally, we launch new clothes on Thursday in the store. And so I try on every piece of clothing that we launch and I talk about it, you know, and I tell the customers, you know, this fits this way and this, this is how, and because of, you know, and it, you can actually watch them. It's so funny through the, I've been doing this about a year and a half now, but in the beginning, I was so like self-conscious about how the clothes fit me. And I wouldn't talk about, like, I had a hard time talking about what size I was in. And uh-huh. and it's amazing. It's one of those things as you're building that muscle, the more I did it, the more confident I got in my ability to talk about clothes and how they fit my body. And I've also in the last year worked on my health. So I've gotten in a little bit better shape and, you know, gotten more confident in that aspect too. But I think that started with kind of putting yourself out there. I do. Yeah. I think it's you know you your health starts with your mental health. Yeah. And if you're not I'm healthy, proud of you. That's yeah, incredible. Thank you. Thank you. And so, but I um I also I write a weekly email to my customer base, and so I decided, you know, I'm I'm not the only person that feels this way, so I'm going to talk to the customers about it. And so I remember I sent out an email. You know, I have. So whatever, I have 5,000 customers talking about this negative self-talk I was doing. And it actually, it focused around, um, we sell able leather bags and there was a belt bag and I loved it. But I remember thinking, no, like I'm too big to wear this purse. And so I wrote the email, I'm like, how, how dumb am I to think I'm too big to wear a purse? You know, what a crazy notion. And so it was a whole email encouraging people, you know, wear the purse. Where do whatever, you know, it's, if that's what you want to do, you can do it regardless of size, regardless of anything. And that was kind of my pivotal moment. And so that email went out and I got more responses to that email than anything I've ever sent out for the store. Any discount. I cannot even imagine. And people just thanking me for being honest. And it was, gosh, for me, what a pivotal turn in my business. And so my emails really have changed from they're very rarely sales related. Mm. And now more like this crazy weekly journal that I send to 5,000 people. Like what a weird thing. I'm generally, I would like to think more reserved, but it's become this, this amazing thing that I'm like having my diary with 5,000 people every week. Oh, so good. Well, I think people really value that now, you know, transparency and vulnerability and people just showing up as they are. We kind of got sick of the perfectness on Instagram and social media. Everybody was so over it. Yeah, it's, you know, we're not all cookie cutter. 
No, and I swear, no matter how big you are, some people, you know, my mom is super thin. She thinks her legs are too skinny. She's always heard her legs are too thin. She has chicken legs. So it's like, no matter what, I swear women have struggled with some part of this. And that's what the responses were. You know, I, no matter what you look like, there's something that we're going to eat ourselves up about. Yeah. And I think it's learning to, first of all, identify that and then accept it. And we're, I still struggle every day with the way my body looks and the way I, you know, present myself to people, but I've learned that I can do the work to love myself. As cheesy as that sounds, you know, it, it doesn't mean every day I do. It doesn't mean I'm perfect at it, but I can recognize right. it and try. Exactly. Yeah. And then I bet it gets better every day. Yeah, it does. I'm always a work in progress as all of us are. Of course, definitely. Well, can you discuss any challenges that you faced on your entrepreneurial journey and then any tips you have for aspiring entrepreneurs? Yeah, always. Sure you've had no no challenges at all. Zero. It's been just smooth sailing for 15 years. From day one. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think one of the biggest challenges I've always faced as a woman, and especially um with my volunteer work, is being taken seriously in a room full of men. And, you know, on most of the boards I sit on, I'm usually the youngest person and I'm usually one of the only women. Wow. And it's very interesting to learn how to find your voice in a room full of men. And then, you know, I feel like sometimes I say things and they want, oh, she's so cute. You know, she's young and she's, and nothing makes me angrier. (laughs) Yeah. Because I know my ability is on par with theirs and my opinion is better exactly exactly and so that to me has been a challenge and I some of that of course is probably in my head but I'm getting better at learning just speak anyway Mm -hmm. use my voice tell them and even if they disagree someone has to say it and so I'm happy to do it so that's been a challenge um and I think the one thing when people ask me about tips, I wish I would have told like 25 year old starting out, Kelsey, it's okay to go and invest in your business. Mm. I think I would have scaled faster had I done that earlier. You know, no one was telling me, go take a line of credit. It's okay to use this American Express card to build your inventory. It's, you know, everything was, Oh, just, you know, just get by, pull yourself up by your bootstraps, make it work. But you don't want to have debt. You can't have any debt, you know, Exactly. you hear other people saying use debt, you know, in the right ways. And there are ways to use it, especially in the retail world, you know, 10 months out of the year, I usually hold a debt because I have to have inventory. I can't sell, you know, empty shelves and I think I was so afraid to have debt in the beginning that it, it really held me back. Mm -hmm. And so when I, I meet with younger, you know, female entrepreneurs now, and I tell them, you know, go talk to the bank. They are, they want to give women money and there are ways to do it in the small business administration. And I'm always say, you know, when people ask, "Do, do you take Amex cards? I will always take American express cards in my business because they were the first people to extend money to me. And help wow. me grow. 
I would I would love to tell them that one day because American Express gave me a credit card with a, enough of a limit that I could grow and no other person would. And they for to this day I use my Amex, I will pay their fees whatever it is till the day my business closes because they got me from day 1 and then finally I started reading about oh a line of credit. You know no one tells a 24-year-old that you can go to a bank and get this line of credit and pay on the interest. And I I just wish more people would have given the, me these, the, the educational tools on investing in the business. Right. Because no yeah, one did. Because it all seems so scary and no one explains it. Yeah. And they make you afraid to invest in, in both yourself and your business. Yeah. So that's always my biggest tip is, is it's okay to make that investment. And it will pay off in the long run, you know, responsibly, of course. I'm not saying yeah. run up your credit cards till they're all maxed out and keep opening sure. them. There's, there's a way to carry debt responsibly. Yeah, definitely. Well, that's a great tip for any entrepreneur. Well, Kelsey, as we wrap up, where can we find you? Where can we find Green Roost and anything we should be looking out for as we step into the holiday season. Absolutely. So um, the best place to find us is probably two places on Instagram. So we're just at Green Roost. And then on our website is shopgreenroost.com. And both of those have links to sign up for the weekly email, which is the best way to hear if you want to hear from me directly. Those emails are always the, the easiest way to do that. And I'm excited this year we'll be doing a lot of gift guides. So if you're looking for holiday gifts, our um our Thursday like stories and weekly releases, I'll be including a lot of gift guides to kind of make it very easy for people to shop. And we love to ship all over the country and do the work for you. Okay, I'm signing up for that because I love a good gift guide. I'm like, just tell me, give me some options. Tell me what I should buy. Yeah, I love it. <laughs> make it easy. Well, um, we are happy to do that for you. Very exciting. Well, Kelsey, this was incredible. So many great tips and appreciate your sh- you sharing your story about body positivity because that hits home with so many. Well, thank you, Bryce, for having me. This was, this was a fun afternoon. Good. Thanks, Kelsey. Bye. And that concludes another engaging episode of the Wine After Work podcast. We hope you enjoyed your discussion today and learned something new. Remember, there's always more to explore when it comes to your career. So until next time, raise your glasses high and may your evenings be filled with delightful sips and enriching conversations. Cheers, and we'll see you soon on the next episode of Wine After Work.